Hello and welcome to the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield University in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast shares these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy today's episode. My name is Rich Schmidt. We're here with Lizette Ratman. It's uh, February 1st, 2023. It's where at Day Wines in Dayton. Lizette, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah. Uh, first question to get you started is why wine? Um, well, looking back, uh, wine has been present for quite a while. I guess starting when I was 17, going into college, um, I landed, I worked with a a good high school friend of mine and later college roommate uh, with her father at Antoine's restaurant in New Orleans and um, he was the he had worked he had worked there since he was very young from worked from busboy all the way up to a uh, manager and we just helped in the bar and in running wine bottles and running the service bar um, but they're known for their wine cellar that's longer than a football field. Um, kind of runs a full block downtown New Orleans uh, near Bourbon Street. And it just the going into that cellar for the first time and being trusted to walk through a greasy kitchen with eight bottles of wine um, was really the first time I thought about wine, you know, being 17 or 18. And um, and yeah, him sharing bottles of wine and starting to pay attention and listening to his awe for different producers and varieties. Um, that was the first point. And then I, was, I studied abroad early in college and met some extended family who for generations have had land in Burgundy. And so that was the second point. Still didn't know wine was in my in my trajectory until finishing college I knew I wanted to to travel and keep learning and um, keep seeing the, most of the world and my plan was to farm hop and you know learn about different agricultural societies and interdependence on agriculture um, but my first gig was at a vineyard in California and I've been in wine since um, <laughs> Yeah, so my first vintage was in 2018 with Mortz and family um, in Dry Creek Valley. And great family to work for. I worked, was blessed, and started off right away with a female winemaker, uh, Emma. And I think the way that she was eager to share what she knew and um, trust me with the process, which I thought was bizarre, being 18 and being like, you want me to put my hands on this white, on this wine, on this fruit. Are you sure? I know this costs more than I could ever pay for. And um, so yeah, that, that kind of just, I was blessed with a great first experience. And if it wasn't for that, you know, I don't know that I'd still, still be in the industry. So mm-hmm. I guess that's why wine. <laughs> so we'll pick it back up there in a second. Well, let's back up for a moment and talk about life before wine. So you mentioned being in New Orleans. Tell me about uh, uh, upbringing and kind of sort of life before college. I was born and raised in New Orleans um, of three siblings and of many cousins. Um, 
We, growing up in a very athletic household, both my parents were athletes and kind of known for that. Um, and so, you know, all my, both my siblings and I had practice or games six or seven days a week, um, which kept us in the team environment and kept us working towards something. Um, and I went to Cabrini High School, an all-girls high school, where my mom was the principal. Um, she went there, my aunts went there, my sister went there, they grew up down the street. Um, so it was nice to carry that history and that legacy on. Um, and then I went forward and went to Cabrini University in Philadelphia, where I played soccer for a few years um, before studying abroad and returning home to LSU. Um, but yeah, I spent most of my childhood playing a lot of sports and spending a lot of time just traveling and, and, and yeah, competing. <laughs> Tell me about, you mentioned going abroad and, and being in, in uh, Burgundy. Tell me about that experience and, and sort of uh, what, kind of what you got, what you took away from that. Well, I studied abroad in Rome. Um, so I was there about seven months or so in my sophomore year. And growing up, I guess, in my early teens, I had some extended family, French cousins around the same age that would come over for the summertime. Um, so once I was in Rome and I was a little bit closer to France for the first time I figured I'd go and try to see where they're from, what Paris is like. Um, and it really wasn't until I got there and uh, my sister had committed to coming to visit as well that we made plans to go down to their country house in Burgundy. I'm so oblivious at this point. I'm like, cool, this is great, you know, Burgundy still hasn't really clicked in my mind of how important it is to wine and to wine history. Um, but we go down and take a beautiful train ride and we're walking through their vineyard and you know they point over there and they say that's Romney Conti. I still have no idea what that means. Looking back, there's tremendous value in that sentiment and then the history there. Um, you know, to hear the family's stories of World War II and what happened throughout Burgundy and you know, hiding in, in the, their chateau in Corgonois. And yeah, so that's, I think, you know, studying sociology and hearing the history and the story, it, that's where I guess things started to resonate and I started to ask, what if? Um, it, wasn't, it wasn't an intense thought at that point, but looking back, I think that's when the inkling started, started yeah. And you mentioned kind of the intention to farm hop and then sort of finding yourself in wine and never leaving, or at least not, not leaving yet. So tell me about that first harvest. You mentioned obviously being, having a female winemaker that you were, that you were really excited to work with. Uh, what were your initial impressions of being in the industry and of the, the work that it entailed? Um, yeah, so my first harvest was in 2018 with Mortz and family, and I really lucked out. Um, my first harvest could have been anywhere, so I'm really grateful it was there, and I was working for Emma. Um, super badass female winemaker, running an all-male crew. Um, you know, she had an, has an athletic background as well, so I think we connected on that way. Uh, the physicality of the work in the harvest, as well as, I mean, the work year-round. Um, but my dad is 
has kind of a handy background to him. You know, he's always been tinkering in his garage. He's always the handyman. He's always the one to fix it. And the, growing up with him and spending a little time working in a cabinetry shop, you know, I learned I love to work with my hands. So being thrown into a cellar and those mechanics of, you know, plumbing, if you want to call it, throwing lines together, moving wine around, kind of came naturally. And I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the troubleshooting, how to get this to there, what, you know, looking at a wall and saying, I can use this piece or that piece, and to get to, to solve the problem, I guess, or the, the um, yeah, the workload. Um, but it was an intense harvest. I, we, we pulled in a lot of fruit. Couldn't tell you how much, but it was my first experience, so I'm lucky that it was a really intense one rather than something really small for the next one to be, to be compared to. Um, but yeah, really grateful for Emma and all that, that she shared. Also, Adrian um, was a great, is a great cellar master there. And he you know, was the first one to put me on a forklift and trust me with empty bins. And um, yeah, so, so yeah, I think a lot of people in the industry you know, a lot of people go into harvest and harvest hop, and it's really luck of the draw where you end up because of the trajectory of networking, if you want to say, where you go next um, really helps out. And I think that's, you know, it'd be interesting to see here in the Valley even who's worked where and creating a web to see, you know, what pioneer has the most impact of retention rate, who keeps everyone in the Valley. Um, yeah. Are there memories you have from that first year of either I, I wanted to keep doing this for as long as I can or I can't believe I'm doing this and I, and I need to do something else? Are there memories you have of like challenges along the way or, or kind of epiphanies? Um, yeah, the end of harvest, uh, the rest of the harvest crew was kind of getting let go of one by one and I was sticking around and eventually I was offered a, a full-time gig and to stay on. Um, and I think that was the first moment that I was like, oh, this could be a real thing. Whereas I was kind of making plans to go find my next farm. I loved it, but I didn't really see it as a path yet. Mm -hmm. People were talking about, friends on the crew were talking about harvest hopping, which I didn't know was a thing before my first harvest. You know, I was oblivious to this wine world. There, as It a, has a presence in New Orleans, but via consumption, via, you know, purchasing at a retail shop and in restaurant. But you're kind of far disconnected from wine country. Um, so yeah, that being offered a full-time gig, that totally changed my projection into, okay, well, where can wine bring me? Um, it wasn't until later on, um, I, I completed that year and then left right before harvest for 2019 harvest. And, worked in Burgundy with that extended family, um, just picked fruit, which was great. <laughs> um, and then coming back, I came back to the US, I think on my 21st or 22nd birthday, and then I went to complete harvest in California. So I got to hit two in one, and it was in that moment that I remembered when I was younger and I was in this history class in high school and there was a question that went around of like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I didn't have an answer for it, but I can remember daydreaming and thinking that 
whatever it was going to be was going to allow me the opportunity to travel or to see more and to keep learning more. And so it was, it was flying back home from harvesting in Burgundy where I remembered that and I was like, wow, wine. <laughs> Wine's cool, wine's it, and I can keep doing this. And you know, I just became more and more attracted to the wormhole of just learning more. There's endless information, there's en endless discovery. Um, yeah. So at that point, as you're starting to kind of unwrap, unwrap that and start to set in your head, did you have an idea for what you wanted your role in the industry to be? No, <laughs> no clue. At this point, I'm still, I'm a seller rat. I mean, I'm still a seller rat, but, you know, just grateful for any opportunity and any seller to work in. It was very open-ended. I was, you know, lucky to be able to go back to Moritzen and kind of have open doors there. Um, and to return and to work another half year. And at that point, I think my eyes were on learning more about wine, but also seeing more of the world. And the idea of that they do it differently everywhere, and they have different varietals, and they have just a very naive, I had a very naive, very um, innocent, I guess, idea of what it is. Uh, so I think I was just hungry and curious. Um, yeah, I didn't really have. I, you know, maybe a distant daydream. I was like, what if I was a winemaker one day like Emma or, or a cellar master like Adrian? Because I did, I loved the cellar. I loved the mechanics of it all. I loved the idea of being able to fix something when it was broken, you know. So then what, what comes next? Um, I ended up getting the travel bug in Burgundy and came back and worked another half year or so at Moritzen before heading down to Chile, um, where I was able to squeeze about a month of harvest in before April 2020, so COVID lockdown. Um, I took one of the last flights back from Chile. There was like people, a group of scientists from Antarctica on my flight. Everyone had, you know, five seats to lay down. Um, Masks weren't mandatory. <laughs> um, but yeah, then I returned to New Orleans and kind of rode it out in some beautiful weather. And um, I ended up landing a gig with a distributor um, where I worked for two months or so during the pandemic. So as much as that, it was a great opportunity to see a glimpse into the distribution side, very valuable to me too. Um, you know, it's great to know what's going on in the cellar, but it's even to become aware how difficult it is to move wine um, was great, even though it was during the pandemic and most restaurants and were closed. Uh, yeah, it was a good glimpse into that business, but I had to get back in production. And that's when a friend of mine, Deegan, who we've worked a handful of harvest together at this point, she got me up here for, I guess that would be 2020 August harvest at Alexana. Um, yeah, and even, you know, that short bit of time from April to August, not being in production and not being in cellar, I think was, that's when I, I started to realize what I needed to do. You know, I was still studying. I got into some online courses, but it's not the same for me as being hands-on in the cellar. Um, 
And pretty much immediately upon being in the Willamette Valley, Deegan picked me up from the train station. I had been visiting some friends in Washington and brought me to a friend's house. And I met, you know, 10 people who are my first friends and still my friends here. And that camaraderie and that, like, open, open door hospitality I th is part of the reason I'm still here, for sure. Um, that's what I think is very special about the valley, it being very young and the pioneers uh, still being around and being friendly and generous with their knowledge and generous with their experiences and their, their roots here um, is different than what I've experienced um, elsewhere. And at least at this point, is, is that, that's what keeps me around, yeah. So before coming to Alexana, had you any, any understanding of Oregon wine, any, any impressions of Oregon wine before that? Yeah, my last, uh, my last day with the Morton family in um, California, I said, um, so what's up with like the Willamette up there in Oregon? <laughs> That's about the extent. You know, I knew it was another wine valley. They explained to me that it was up and coming. There's a lot of Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. Um, but yeah, no. And then, you know, a friend being up here and telling me it was great. There's so many great people here. There's so much wine. You need to come experience it. So that hunger to just see another wine area and being curious is, is really what, what brought it. And being from New Orleans, the idea of the Pacific Northwest has always been, you know, beautiful wilderness, but cold and rainy. So not that enticing. And still today, I wrestle with that idea. You know, I think I'm getting better with it, but it's different. It's a different atmosphere here. Yeah. So you mentioned at that point you were, you were seeing as much as you could. You've been to Chile, you've been to France, you've been in California. How did that harvest, obviously a strange harvest in Oregon in 2020, before the smoke, I guess, how did you, what were your impressions of Oregon compared to other places? Yeah, my first harvest at Alexandra in 2020, um, it was my third harvest of four to have, or third of five to have fire impact. Um, so at that point, it was something I was used to, but I hadn't yet been aware of it being so close or worked with fruit that was so close to the fire or, um, that intensely smoke taint affected. Um, but the, the close attention to small lot fermentation at Alexana, the um, three ton fermenters and the paying attention to different clones, um, it seemed just more like a very fine detailed fermentation style of winemaking that I hadn't really experienced yet. Um, yeah. You mentioned having, you already had some smoke experience, a lot of, oh, uh, nothing quite like that. So tell me about the impact of 2020 uh, on your work at Alexana and sort of the decisions that were being made there. You know, we luckily worked with mostly estate fruit, and so we brought it in as quickly as we could, and we fermented as usual. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I think that was this, my same experience in the other fire impacted harvest as well. You know, we were sorting fruit in California while pine needles of ash were falling on us, you know? Where they were coming from, couldn't tell you, but 
yeah, it's a bizarre world to live in, a bizarre industry. You know, there's a deadline and there's a lot of lives, a lot of people's livelihood on the line. So you got to think about outside yourself and how it's bad to be breathing in smoke. There's a lot of other people that the harvest is impacting. So. So after that harvest of 2020, uh, what was next for you? Um, I didn't know. I thought I was going back to New Orleans. I thought I was going back to Chile. Um, you know, upon arriving, just before coming up here for harvest in 2020, a friend in New Orleans was like, so what's up with this wine gig? Are you ever going to make your own wine? Are you just going to keep traveling? Is this a forever thing? Like, and I said, no way that I would make my wine, like any of my own wine, anytime soon. Like I probably have like five more years of learning from other people before I would do that. Uh, and then I'm here for about three weeks and there's two other friends of mine that also are thinking about making their own wine. And I was like, let's just do it. So we had another friend who found us some fruit and we started piddling around uh, like a barrel each in a friend's garage. Um, so outside of working harvest for Alexana, you know, that's what was keeping me entertained and excited. And um, I had a barrel of Chardonnay that I planned to bottle as a pet nat so that I could take it back home to New Orleans with me because I didn't think I was staying here. Um, and it turned out pretty good. Uh, and then I ended up staying here because I was like, well, where can I do? I have to do that again. So I guess I have to go back. <laughs> So I came back up to Oregon and I just started working, getting any work I could. I did, you know, the bottling line run, which was great because I was able to work at a handful of different wineries. Um, um, I picked up odd jobs. Jackson Holstein over at Granville was very generous and found some work for me to do around their, their winery. Um, and then I landed a full-time spot with the O'Donnells at Belpont. Um, yeah, where I would go on to stay there about a year and a half. So I worked 2021 vintage there. And yeah, that was a great another perspective on wine. Um, yeah, doing it doing it the way they do it for a long time and you know not many changing variables other than the vintage um, you know paying close attention to what's going on on their estate and and seeing how vintage to vintage how things change yeah so tell me about uh, with that uh, you're you've all you've had all these different experiences you've had all these different kind of winemakers uh, working with now you have a full-time gig at Belpont um, what was the biggest difference what was the biggest difference about how they did things and about sort of the expectations on, on what you were going to do compared to all of the various harvests you'd worked before that well I it's a small team there so it's different than being one of many in a harvest crew but being you know solo and responsible year-round um, so working alongside Brian and Jill and just trying to do my best to take care of their wine in the best way I could. Um, uh, but yeah, a lot of solo time, a lot of very just minimal approach, doing what we need to do. Um, they have a really great Gravity Flow winery, and it reminded me, you know, a lot of 
my dad's garage and the way that things work the way they can work and then they work that way <laughs> and if, if it breaks fix it to work the way we need it to um, but yeah it was it was yeah it was a great experience of minimalism and 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 just getting the job done and making beautiful wine and you mentioned the obviously the, the the beginning of making your own wine and sort of the the need to do it again. So, tell me what happened with that that first year's wine and and what did you do differently the second year? Um, I shared it with friends and family in Louisiana, and it went very quickly, and I had some great feedback. Um, so my intention the next year was to make it a little cleaner, make it a little better. Um, so luckily, thanks to the O'Donnells, I made it at Belpont. Um, yeah, and it's a little bit cleaner. It has a real, real, it's in stores. It has licensing, <laughs> you know? That was all the goal of the first year, is to get a better understanding of all the logistics, of all the compliance. Um, yeah. So tell me about naming it and marketing it. So it's named Fizzy Lizzy Swamp Water. Um, all the names came very spontaneously when we bottled it. Um, in our friend's garage, it was this beautiful sunshine, golden yellow. Put it away and went and worked more at Alexana. Went back three, four weeks later and opened a bottle, and it was murky, murky brown, and it looks like, you know, a bottled swamp water. Um, yeah, so just ran with that. It stuck, and then my name being Lizette, Fizzy Lizzie, just kind of rang a bell. And, you know, at times I think about how maybe it comes off as a joke or a little less serious, but I think it's at that point was me taking a chance on myself and seeing if I had learned much about wine or if I could put what I had learned so far into action, into play. And it, it was a big learning experience having responsibility and actually making decisions and not following work orders. It gave me a lot of appreciation for the people I was working for, all the ideas that they juggle, all putting it all into action, and the details of, and logistics of putting it into action. Um, so yeah, I think that it will continue to evolve. I'll just keep trying to make better wine, make cleaner, better wine. Um, and I think it will evolve with the opportunity I have. If I have opportunity for more fruit, if I have opportunity to make more wine, more space, or if there's thirst for it, um, just keep trying to express to the best that I can the fruit that I have the opportunity to work with and, um, you know, keep learning. I, you know, it's a, it's a platform for me to keep learning and keep expressing, I guess, as I keep learning. If you make it too clean, it's not going to look like swamp water anymore. I know. <laughs> well, just strong. That's okay. <laughs> so tell me about uh, once you have, you, like you said, you have this appreciation now for the difficulty of, of all the decision making and all of that. So once you have this wine now that you're and you're and you're getting yourself all the logistics, um, what's it like putting that wine in front of people? What's it like trying to get that wine into restaurants or into stores or in people's hands? Yeah. Well, it's been a great experience. Um, the, my favorite thing, other than making the wine, I think is sharing it and it bringing people together. Um, you know, it's, it's fermented with 
good times and camaraderie and communion in mind. You know, growing up, we spent a lot of time sitting on the bayou during sunset. Um, we spent a lot of time on people's porches, just kind of hanging out and drinking. <laughs> um, so it's made for that in mind. It's made for those casual times. It's made for celebrating. So, you know, anytime I see someone opening a bottle, it really nearly transports me there. You know, I feel like it's, it's really special to be part of whatever moment that they are sharing together. Um, yeah, so it's been, it's been neat. It's been forcing me to get out the valley and up into Portland and try to meet and network with more restaurant and winery. I mean, in the bottle shop owners up there. And yeah, I think it's opening a world. You know, I'm getting to know more of the industry outside of sellers and my other friends and sellers. You know, I have to be more aware of what's going on in front of house and yeah. So tell us about how you got here. Today wines. Um, opportunity, um, you know, the friend, uh, the industry shuffle of people moving on from other jobs to other jobs, and there was a spot here, and I had admired what Brienne was doing, and um, you know, the idea of working for another badass female winemaker was really enticing. Um, you know, has kind of the reputation of forging her own path and not really taking no for an option, and you know, making as much wine as she wants. <laughs> Uh, so that was enticing, and I, I couldn't really pass that opportunity up. Um, yeah, I'm excited to be here and excited to learn from her and keep making better and better wine. So tell us about your what your role here is and sort of how you how you've seen it so far and maybe how you see it going in the future. Yeah, I am assistant winemaker to Brienne and um, co-worker with. Colin Howard, we're both assistants here. Um, I, you know, I've been here since right before harvest, so my role so far is pretty much still catching up. <laughs> still organizing. Um, we've moved through a couple bottlings so far of our 2022 wines, and um, we've got a new crush pad that we're still working with. I'm grateful for that extra storage, but really just just keeping things organized, keeping things going, getting the work done, um, trying to take as much off of Brian's plate as we can. <laughs> yeah, taking care of the wines ultimately. So after working in a, some some pretty Pinot-centric places uh, in the valley, you're now here at Day, which is not that. So tell me about the different kinds of wines and the different style here as opposed to what you've worked with in the past. Yeah, um, well, I personally love our orange wines here. Um, that skin contact, Pinot Gris, and, and knowing what it can bring to these different blends we put it in is probably one of my favorite things. Um, we've got a lot of varieties we work with. Uh, there was a lot of different things going on in here during harvest, and I think that that, that change up every day um, was kind of a, a a breath of fresh air. Um, I like learning about you know a hundred different things at one time, and you know paying attention to detail and learning the ins and outs of Pinot Noir over at Belpont was really great. Um, 
but but yeah, learning what complements each other and what blends will be good and and you know it, that that's been really exciting to me. Yeah, there's been a tremendous amount of growth here as well, um, which has been interesting to learn how to work with and create space for. Um, yeah, and to kind of adapt the workflow. Yeah. So tell me about uh, what comes next then. You mentioned uh, with, with Fizzy Lizzy, you're kind of taking it as it comes. Is there something you're looking forward to trying in terms of a new variety, new style, or a new region of the state? Um, well, in, I have 2022 is in tank and nearly ready to be bottled, ticking along very slowly in fermentation. Um, and I've got two barrels of still Chardonnay. Um, from 22 as well. So I'll have a little bit of still Chardonnay from the same pick. So pretty early, um, not entirely, you know, very, very acidic and bright fruit. <laughs> you know, not very fruit forward. Uh, so that'll be a new addition. Um, but looking to stay the same size and, and doing it better and better. Um, you know, I, of course, in the future have my eyes on some different varieties that I'd love to work with. Um, but yeah, just not there yet. I'm interested in a lot that's going on in the Columbia Gorge and the Dalles, all the different varieties coming from there, as well as Southern Oregon. Um, I've, you know, I've gotten a sneak peek with those being here, working at day. Um, yeah. You mentioned earlier your kind of initial impressions of Oregon. I know you haven't been here that, that long yet, but I'm curious. Um, how you've seen the state sort of handle the past few years and all the different challenges we've had since since 2020, um, and what does the industry look like to you now that you've been in it for a few years? What do you, what, do you, what does Oregon look like right now? Um, it's growing, and or at least in the industry's point of view, there's always something new going on. There's always something new developing. There's a new vineyard being planted. Um, yeah. I'm adapting still. I'm still very curious. I haven't made it out the valley as much as I intend to, so I have you know, I don't have a full understanding of, I don't know that much about the state. I have so much more to see and experience here. Um, yeah. What about for yourself, for your, for your own future? Obviously, you've you're, you're, um, got a long ways to go. What are sort of some of the milestones you're looking ahead to, challenges you want to take, projects you want to take uh, as you look ahead? Yeah, I looking ahead, you know, I I see myself just continuing to learn, continue to go to to kind of develop Fizzy Lizzie and develop um, my own brand and my own responsibility and my own winemaking. Um, uh, advice or words of wisdom you'd have for someone who was interested in joining the Oregon wine industry? Ooh, um, you know, stay open-minded and you know. I hope you have the luck of having a great first harvest. If you have a good attitude and you're open-minded to working hard and learning from the people you're working with and for, um, you'll have a great time. Whether it means staying in wine or carrying that experience to whatever else you do in life, um, I think it can be very valuable. Take what you can. Excellent. So all the questions that I have for you. Uh, is there anything I didn't ask that I should have? Anything we didn't cover that you'd like to cover here today? I don't think so. All right, excellent. Well, thank you so much. 
for your time, sharing your stories with us, uh, and, and your hospitality here at Day, as always. Yeah. Uh, we'll go ahead and let you off the hook. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all our supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have helped make our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you from the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield University with a very special thank you to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.